First Timothy chapter three. Let's start from First Timothy chapter three. I just want to explain something today um, about the work of the church. It's our school of prayer, so that we will know how to pray about things that matter. One of the important things we need to know in this life is how to pray about the things that matter or how to recognize the things that are important. The Lord Jesus explains something that you, when it comes to prayer, he says, seek first the kingdom of God. And if you remember, he was talking about prayer. He said, these are the things that the Gentiles seek. And he was talking about prayer. And he said, we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, what I want to say is this. You must understand that that was a context of going to God to make requests. Yet he said that, listen, don't pray the way the Gentiles pray. Well, when Gentiles come to pray, their prayer requests are made up of what we shall eat, what we shall drink, and with what shall we clothe ourselves. He said, don't be like them. Don't pray, you know, repeatedly on things like that. You must understand the things that are important to God. There are times in life people have, you know, come to me for counseling and, you know, many of those things that we are asking for in life, you know, marriage matters, childbearing matters, job matter, money matter. The prayer, the, the, what I tell some people sometimes, I say, look, just forget it. I think this thing has become too much preoccupation with you. Just forget it. Can you just think about something for a while? Like I said to us some time ago, here, I threw the challenge down. Just take six months and don't ask God for anything like, uh, I want promotion, I want a bigger house, I want a car, I want this. I said, don't ask. It doesn't mean you will not pray, but watch the kind of things you make requests concerning before the Lord. If we are not careful, what we do a lot of times is fill our request times with gentle worries. Yeah, that's a good word. Gentle worries. So when we get on our knees, God knows we'll say it again. It is food. It is clothing. It is material things. Jesus said that's how Gentiles pray. You come and pray with the kingdom of God as the primary thing that's pursuing you. His righteousness, the establishment of his righteousness, first in your life and in your environment. He said, those are the things you should be praying about. Now, he's saying that he didn't say God will not solve all the other issues. He said, those things will be added unto you automatically. We see a principle in scriptures, of course, in the life of Solomon. God told Solomon, ask for anything. If Solomon has asked for wealth, he will have received wealth. That's all he will have received. If Solomon had asked for long life, he would have received it, but that's all he would have received. And listen, this is where recorded, the Bible says, for our learning. Yet we don't seem to learn. We have that story of Solomon, yet when you take Christians to pray, it is money, promotion. You know, I want a child, I want a husband, I want a wife. That's what fills our prayer points. When we have the example from the Bible, when Jesus said, don't, it's not saying you never mention those things to God in prayer. But my own understanding, after reading all the scriptures put together, is that he's saying, dismiss them in prayer. I hope you are getting my point here. That if it comes to you as worry, go to God, take it and give it to him. Maybe you want to follow a particular path in life, and everybody's telling you, and you know it's the path of righteousness. It's the path of divine destiny. They say in this life, ha, if you do like that, you will not achieve this. And they're talking about material success, wealth in life. And it gets to you. I mean, one brother told me that once, once when people finished telling him about the issues of this life, he broke down and started crying. 
There are people that finish hearing counsel. Somebody talks to them, then they get worried. Get to God, get on your knees, and hand it over to the Lord. Lord, these are my worries. They say I will not make enough money to take care of my children. They say I will not be able to afford a good house. But this is what I believe I should be doing and you have called me to do. So can I hand over these things to you? That is so, Lord, I'm asking you to solve them according to your word. And that's you've thrown them to him. You've thrown them to him. I have two people I can give as examples. One of them, we've told the story here before. A brother that wrote us a mail from outside the country. He said he he waited to, to get to where he was before sending that testimony. That once he had been believing God for, you know, progress academically, you know, training and all of that. And for years he had been praying and nothing happened. He had done everything I believe that Christians know to do. Until he said one day he heard me pray, uh, preach. And I said that, look, leave those things for the Lord. Say to the Lord, listen, whether you give this to me or not, I will still serve. He said at that point in time, he realized that that's what God was saying to him. He told me a few things because we don't have time to go into detail about it now. So he said, look, God, whether you give me this or not, forget it. I will not worry about it anymore. I will still serve you. still remain God. So he said, one of the things I said was that, what is the assignment of God for your life for the day? In his, own, in, those, in his own situation, he said, God has put me, one, he was teaching, and two, he was teaching in, the, in church. His job was teaching in the tertiary institution, and in church, he was involved in the, uh, mentoring the young people. So he decided to pour himself into those two things. He said he did that so much that even his own earthly father felt he had lost direction. He had lost focus. Because he knew what he really wanted in life before. But after some time, and listen, it wasn't two days. I think he did that for about two years. So God doesn't just say, you don't say, God, let me just say this so that you do it in three weeks. No. God knew that he was serious. At the end of two years, according to him, Jesus surprised me. Those are his words. He got an email. An application he dropped long ago. One ninja just went and dusted it and told the people, yeah, attend to this. And they gave him a fully funded, and they gave it to only five people or so worldwide. They gave him a fully funded scholarship to go and do a PhD in a special branch of electrical and electronic engineering. It was when he arrived in that country that he sent a mail with a testimony. It was such a brilliant testimony. There's a woman I know in this town, some of you may know if I mentioned the name, when I heard her story, the same thing. She was married for years. She didn't have an offspring. Didn't have a child. And of course, it was a matter of worry. But after a while, I don't know how she got into that revelation. God just made it clear to her, you've been worried too much. Forget this worry matter. So she decided to just forget the whole thing. She stopped thinking about it, stopped praying about it. And just decided that, listen, I'm going to enjoy my life, enjoy my husband. That least God gave me a good husband. So she's taking good care of her. So every time you see her, she's looking fine. So one day she went for, a, I think, a wedding or something. And she sat down. A woman looked at her and said to you, that the Lord said I should tell you that there's something you need to give into you this year. I think was it that year or by next year, okay? Or they already given it to her. From that time, she began to drop children one after the other. <laughs> it was not a case of God, stop, 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 stop. So that time she had, she had stopped thinking about it. And that was when, when she didn't know the person. She just looked at her. So I have a word for you. I'm giving my own words now. From the Lord. There is something that you want. There's something that is dear to you. The Lord said I should let you know he has granted it already. 
God didn't grant you the time she was fighting for it. Going for all night prayer meetings. Listen. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all other things will be added to you. Know the things that are important. Not only pursue them physically, pursue them in prayer. The problem I have with the way we behave, the way we teach sometimes as Christians, that we preachers, between us and people that listen to us, we often get confused. Is that we try to manipulate God. If we are serving, it's service for the thing we want. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Serve God. You see somebody coming to church, coming to church. Why? If I go to church enough, I join the ushers, I clean the floor, I help walk in church, then God will remember me. God will promote me. And pastors become manipulative without realizing it. Those of you who are cleaning this church, God will clean your life. And everybody with dirty lives will join the church cleaners. There was our offering, you know, blessings that confused the believers. Praise God. I've heard people say things like, as this church building is going up, your life will be going up. Like if you are contributing money to build it. So people contribute money to build. Then Eru 5 comes and knocks it down. So I turn around to the pastor, I feel like asking, now that you have knocked down the building, I, I hope you tell them that their lives will also be knocked down. Because if their lives were built up, as the church was being built up, when it goes down to Unko, I think there should be stagnation in their lives. But we say some of those things just to persuade people. People love it, you know. Like if I say people say amen, they don't say amen. Say the higher your amen, the greater your blessing. Then the roof starts shaking. We say those things sometimes, they are just jokes. It's very rare. It's only once in a very rare while, once in a very rare while, that is a prophetic word. Most times they are manipulative words. That is, people are still looking. It is, see, they are not serving God. They come to God. There is something they are looking for. So everything they are doing is engineered towards that. So we start taking advantage of it. One man told me about their church once that he knew one, <laughs> he knew the problem a couple had. And the man was now preaching. This is an opportunity to solve your problem that is been there to raise money. One day I heard a brother say to another, a doctor in their church. He said that, ah, this is our church building we are building. This is an opportunity. You see, tell your patient, this is how to get healed. They should tell his patients, they should come and sow a seed into the church so they can get healed. There was somebody I knew. When that thing was reported to me, I called him. I said, stop using your mouth to enjoy yourself. I, no, I, I called him and I told him. I said, my brother, don't do that again. Don't do that again. You tell a doctor to tell his patients. Is he, are they his you know, physical patients or his spiritual patients? Why should he be offering them spiritual <laughs> God have mercy. The man who said it, maybe was confused, I don't know. Maybe there was something else that was happening in his life, I don't know. But I had to tell him, I said, my brother, don't do that again. Unconsciously, we, we preachers, we push down to the hearts of believers so they stop serving God. So if they come to church on time, it's so that God can bless them early. And in case you've been doing that, let me just let you know, it doesn't work. You know, I keep on saying these things. 
There are people who have argued with me. That no. If a woman sent a male once to us, that he heard me talking about seed, that she ever either take back what I said, or we should remove his name from our mailing list. Please, which one do you think we chose? <laughs> you know, you know, some people don't even understand. That it's as if they are doing you a favor when they listen to you. Say, first of all, do you know I listen to you? And say, eh? I should start rejoicing. Oh, you listen to me. Amen. Praise God. Listen. Whether you like, get angry with me or not. You will discover the truth over time. How many times have you seen people disappointed in this life? Why? Because after that, they labored, labored, labored. The thing they were laboring for did not happen. A woman was in hospital and said, why should I be sick? With all the money I give to God. A man, two of his sons died in one day. And I was trying to console him. He said, ha, me that I'm training other people's children. I, I almost told him, say, sir, that's why they died. You had the wrong confidence. You were sowing seeds according to you. Your pastor told you, he lied to you, he was confused too. That if you sow seeds into the lives of other people's children, God will bless your own children. You know what he reaped? In one day, like Hophni and Phinehas, two of his sons died. So many people are serving God. They are not serving God, though. They are serving their needs. They are not serving God, though. They are serving their desires. If I work hard enough for God, he will be compelled to do something for me. A lot of offerings Christians give, that's how they give it. And I keep on speaking, almost like the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I know I'm not the only one. Many people are shouting it now. And I thank God for it. It's the truth. We have to start telling Christians, you don't give because you want to get. That is not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Giving life is divided into two. Or saving life, or relationship with God. One, there is a service side. Two, there is a sonship side. In the life of Christians, we are supposed to merge the two. We must be sons that serve. But when we want to operate, this is how we operate. As sons, we have everything free of charge. We ask in the name of Jesus and we receive whatever it is that we want. That is the right of sons. We are his offspring. We are his children. And he loves us. But he said, there are sons that serve. And the second side, we start serving. And anytime we serve, we serve because we are supposed to serve, not because we are trying to get anything. We are supposed to serve. God has blessed me with children, and I've observed them grow. They've reached a point in which they run a lot of errands for me. But like I was making a joke earlier, I don't worry about uh, your water battery is dead. I said, what's my son doing? You go and go and change the go and put on the generator, switch over to gen if there's a failure of power, public power supply. But I've never checked how many times he washed my car or did this when it comes to paying his school fees. It's not checked. Do you know, I can't even be angry that he did something wrong and time for fees I will not pay. They are not tied together. Even if I'm angry with him, I'll continue to supply school fees. Why? Is a child of mine. But if he wasn't, if Azumi was a neighbor, it's just son that I'm helping. If he misbehaves, the help gets caught up. That this boy is ungrateful. 
No, you can imagine what I'm next day. He's ungrateful. In your mind, you'll be thinking that what I'm doing for if you do for sensible people, they'll be here every day cutting my grass. It's not your son. That's why you can say that kind of thing. But when is yours? You do what you do for him because he's yours. And if you don't, God will ask you. And when he wants to obey, I don't think he remembers this daddy that has been providing food. <laughs> if I say go and do something, he does it because I said so, not because I provided food. Does it? No, can you see the way? Those thoughts, they don't, they don't cross. But as a responsible child, he must learn to serve. As a responsible child of the home, they must learn to do chores. The older they get, the higher the kind of duties you give them. The younger ones don't handle generators. They don't handle power issues because they may get shocked in the process. But the older one, you can say, okay, you, this is how you, you train him. This is how you do it. And it will, it will get to a particular point to show this is how you drive. They give him the car keys and he keeps doing things in the house. Why? He's a son of the house. That's how we are with God. When we want to ask for anything, we ask in the name of Jesus. We don't think about what we have done to deserve it. And let me say to you, the word of God is what I want to say. If you ever present to him what you have done so that he might do back for you, you have removed yourself from the position of mercy. You have. Because the accuser of the brethren will now rise up and start telling God the judge the things that you have not done. So that the God, the, the God that, who does the judge will have to rule against the desire of God the Father. Let's bear these things in mind. I, just, I don't know why it just came upon me again to you know, correct in the hearts of believers. Whatever you do for the Lord, do it because he's most worthy of being served. He's most worthy of being obeyed. He owns you. Every bit of your life belongs to him. If you are not serving him, you are misusing his gifts. If you are not serving him, you are taking what does not belong to you. That's just the way it works. But if you want to ask him for anything, don't worry about what I have done to deserve it. You can never deserve anything. The greatest gifts he gave you, you did not deserve it. What did you do to take your first breath? Nothing. Nobody taught you to breathe. As soon as they cut the cord, you realize that there's no free oxygen again. And then your lungs opened. And you let out a cry. And your cry caused rejoicing. And in case you do not know, your heart at that time had beaten and beaten and beaten. Had been beaten for over eight months. By the time, before your mother knew she was pregnant, your, your heart was beaten. I did not do anything. It kept you through childhood. Listen, if we're supposed to be doing give and take and give and pay back, you are owing so much. So let's just enjoy the grace. Let's enjoy what the Bible calls favor. The one that he has lavished on us generously. Let me say this again. Don't even try to pay for your sins. You can't. Don't even try. If you try, you insult him. The people who are doing good works because they did bad works before. That's how to die early in life. Do good works because you are created to do good works. Not because you want to pay for the bad works that you did. You can't. Let David try and wake up right now. You can't. 
If God says, I have forgiven you, you give your life to Christ, he forgive you. Accept the forgiveness. People were expected to be looking morose and sad all the time because your name is Saul. Paul, you persecuted the church. They don't expect you to rejo- rejoice. Why are you rejoicing with all the evil you did because of you? Because of you. Because of you. Stephen is dead. Tell them that Stephen has gone to glory. Amen. I'm rejoicing because I'm saved. I'm rejoicing because the God of Stephen is my God too. I'm rejoicing because that God forgave me. I'm rejoicing not because of myself, but because of the greatness of his love for me, which he showed when his son came and he died on the cross for my sake. That's why I'm rejoicing. All the bad you have done, why do you think he died on the cross? If all of us did good, why would he die? And it's people like us, with all the evil we did, we made his death on the cross justified. Don't say like that too. I'm just trying to. <laughs> I'm just trying to say, nobody should come and start putting you down because you did bad before. Right now, in Christ Jesus, you have been forgiven. In Christ Jesus, you have been washed clean. Literally, you now are a new creation. Something new that God has done. And that's what, that is, that's what it is. I've seen people before, because they used to sing in, in, in beer parlors and clubs, and people would be dancing lewd dances to their songs. They now want to sing praise worship. God said, it's this how to get injured. I didn't send you to sing praise worship. If I don't sing again, close your mouth. Go and start working. Go, go and start doing business. Go and buy and sell. Buy, build a factory. If I become a preacher, don't come and undo the songs you sang. You can't. You can't. It happened to Israel. At the point in time, they said, when God was angry, they said, okay, now we will go. God said, no, don't go now anymore. They said, we will go, we will go, we will go. God said, Moses said to them, warn yourself. He said, we will go. As they went, the enemies beat. The enemies beat Moses said, I told you the Lord is not with you. Please, I began all of that and explain something. Let's know what is important to pray for as believers. I, you know, if, if you just quickly take your mind back, I was trying to emphasize that let's not pray like Gentiles. So along the line, I was adding some things to it. But where we began from is that let's not pray like Gentiles. Let's know the things that are important to God and let those things take our prayer time. Let those things take our prayer time. Let those things be, in quote, in quote, please, just in quote, our worries all the time, in quote, not really worry, we're not worrying, but instead of worrying about food and drink, let those things replace the desires of your heart. And those are the things I'm trying to explain to us, things that we are supposed to do. The Lord is good. I thought we should open somewhere, right? So it's one of those things we want to talk about today. I want to take, from, take it from First Timothy chapter 3. Let's look at what uh, Paul said to Timothy there. Let me just start from verse 14 so we don't spend too much. We'll just read that to the end. He said, I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. Before then, he had told him things to do, how to choose overseers, deacons, how to order the church. He now said to him, I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to see you before long. But in case I'm delayed... I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of truth. That's the reason why I'm reading that. Because he said, the way he described um, the church there, he said the pillar and the support of truth. Like King James would say, the foundation and the pillar of truth. Like New Living Translation also says that this is the church of the living God. 
which is a pillar and foundation of the truth. Please, that's what I want from that particular person. What the church is. Please listen to this. Like I said, I feel in my heart that the preaching today is not just about prayer. We're going to pray at the end, but the focus is prophetic. That is, I believe I'm bringing a word to the people of God. And if you are, if you have a pastor, tell him to listen to this. Now, please, I want everybody to listen to it. It's this message to the whole church. It's not just to individuals. I'm not addressing COVID-19 or any pestilence, even though it's part of the things that prompted this for us to talk about it. But I want us to know this message is for the whole church as a whole, okay? The church of Christ. And therefore, the shepherds therein, the leaders therein must pay attention. And also, every individual member of the church of God must pay attention. Now, so, let's get back to it. The church is the pillar, the foundation of truth, the support of truth, emphasis truth. Let's read something else, because what God is trying to, what God is sending this word concerning is what the church should do in this season. The church easily gets carried away by things that are to them quite practical. They get carried away by things that are not their core function. Please, that's why what we need to watch. Let's say in life, there's a way God has structured life. There are ranks of service. The church has a rank of service which is very high. You can use the word very high or very deep. Both of them talking about the intensity of the spirituality. The church sometimes, let me give an example. We pastors will do a lot of things, including charity work. And charity work is not bad. Please, I hope you're getting my point. Doing charity work is not bad. Giving food to the poor is not bad. All right? But that is not the primary assignment of the church. The primary assignment of the church is not charity. The primary assignment of the church is not economic. The primary assignment of the church is not political. Especially, I'm talking about in relation to the world now. Okay? We have things we do amongst ourselves. What I mean is this. Yes, if somebody is in lack, we should take care of that. We should know how to share what we have with those that don't have. And we should do practice it amongst ourselves and also practice it with the world around us. He said, do good to all. That's what the Bible says. He said, but especially to those who are of the household of the faith. So we do good to everybody. Christians and non-Christians alike. So it's one of those things that individuals in the church will do. But it is not the primary assignment of the church as a whole. Let me quickly say this. The primary assignment of the church as a whole on this earth is two. There are two things, alright? One, I just use powerful, <laughs> what I mean, spiritual words. The first one is apostolic, the second one is prophetic. I don't know which one is more important. But those are the two things. The church is an apostolic body on the earth. The church is a prophetic body on the earth. And when it comes to interacting with the world, those are the primary, or let me say that is the, I'm making the two. That is the primary assignment that the church has. It is easy to get carried away by the political things that are out of order. We now send our brethren, go into politics and go and repair it. It is not the primary assignment we have. Even though Christians can be involved in politics, it is right, it is in order, 
for Christians to be involved in politics. But as a body, that's not our primary assignment. Sometimes political um, people are contesting for offices, governor, president, you know, big executive offices. And of course, they will come to the Christians to come and um, seek for votes. And it's, it's okay, it's proper. Now, sometimes Christians want to play their political weight. And they start negotiating with the president. If we vote for you, what will you do for us? Let me say to you, it is wrong. What the church should do under such circumstances is the elders of the church should settle down, gather themselves, and release a document, okay, filled with what they understand as truth that every political office, uh, office holder should perform. They should share to all the candidates and let every candidate know that we will not campaign for you in church. We do not guarantee you any votes. We are treating all of you the same. But this is the word of God to you for this season. We will write it and give all of them. Whoever wins, please go on, because we are in the era of democracy. Amongst ourselves, we may know individually who we prefer. Two of us were to judge based on the understanding we have. We may vote for two different candidates. I may vote for one person my pastor is not voting for. It does not change that document we have compiled because it is a document of truth. There is no negotiation in it. Do this for us, we'll vote for you. No, we'll say as leaders, as a leader, this is what God requires of you. To do righteousness, to do justice, to maintain security, to execute fairness in judgment. Tell the people, and we will pray for you, both now, before the elections, and afterwards, if you win. So everybody that comes to you has the same, they have equal standing. Everybody. You don't lean to one because he's a Christian and he's our brother. Your brothers have not done you any good. You have seen it over time. You don't go against another because he's not one of our brothers. After all, even amongst yourselves, you don't even know who's your brother, who's not your brother. Because when you come into the church, they divide among tribal lines. I'm not explaining something. The primary assignment of the church is what? Apostolic and prophetic. I'm combining the two. They are supposed to be the light to the nation. Please bear that in mind. Any nation they are in. They are the people of God. They are the lawmakers of God. When God wants to look into that nation, he looks at them first. And like the prince said, everything that occurs in that nation, they are held responsible. Or she is held responsible. That is the church as a unit. So this is the prophetic word of God in this season. That's what I'm bringing. That the church needs to correct itself. Now let's, I said we should read somewhere. Did I open another one? Okay, quickly. We all know the issue of what the Lord Jesus said to us in Matthew chapter 5. That we are the light of the world. Don't open to that one. We are going to go to the book of Revelation. Revelation we are going to read from chapter, chapter 2. The one I want to say here is very important. Now, the Lord Jesus appeared to John. He is a lord of his church. He's our king. He's our ruler. He's our lord and our master. I told him to write letters to different churches, and we're going to just read one, just as a template, all right, so that I can use that one to explain the prophetic word for this season. He said, And to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one 
who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you found them to be false. And you have persevered and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. But I have, now please, that's what you have done. Verse 4, he said, But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you, and will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He said, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Please, before I call it, I want to reread the verse um, 5. But before I do that, I want to really remind us of something. We talked about it before, when we were talking about in time of a plague, what we were supposed to do. We said that the judgment against Nineveh was suspended because the king called for repentance. Now, I want to say this, that principle applies to the church in this season. Remember, we are held responsible for whatever happens in our nation. Now, anytime we see something happen around, let's just remember our responsibility. Now, I'm saying this to the church of God, especially in this country and even beyond, that to a large extent, we are responsible for what is happening right now through negligence because of things that we did not do. And I'm saying as a church, now, when we want to pray, it's not church and the world pray together. It doesn't work like that. But the church should come, all right? And I want to say this. If the church doesn't do what I'm saying, the world is going to see a worse calamity. I don't know when. It may not even come as pestilence. It can come as war. It can come as massive natural disasters all over the place. But the church can prevent that by doing these things I'm going to be talking about. Alright? Now, what I'm trying to emphasize is that the church has a duty to call itself together and avert judgment. It's important. Next point I want to make is this. Every Christian, which is why I'm talking about this in our school of prayer, every Christian should take this matter to prayer for two reasons. Number one, God actually answers prayers. And if we come together and pray, even though we don't come together in one place physically, but we all have the same truth in our hearts and we're speaking to the Lord, He will answer. Second reason is that you need to do that to deliver yourself personally from judgment. It's so important. It's so important. He said to the angels, go in and go and mark everyone who is sighing and groaning because of the iniquity that is in the land. It's important. If you just cast a glance at what is wrong and you don't pray about it and sigh and groan like the Bible says, then you will not be spared because when judgment wants to come, you'll be amazed at how many people it takes. But God has principles by which he spares people. And that's why I'm explaining that point. That each person must look at it. There are things we laugh about God says, you have laughed long enough, don't laugh anymore. Some things should bring tears to your eyes. Especially because, you see, one of the reasons why we don't fear God is because we don't know what is called judgment. If you realize that judgment will come, you will pray. If you realize, okay, 
Because I'm going to read this one verse in a moment. There are some of the things we do and we laugh about. God has to judge them in the body of Christ. Jesus said something. The light of the body, the eyes is the light of the body, right? He said, if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? God says, if he begins to judge the church, the world will see Pepe. It's going to be worse for the people around. Let's bear that in mind. But that he has to come to his church and clean it out by himself. But he always says this, judge yourself so I don't have to do that. And I'm crying out today for the church to know, time to judge yourself so that he doesn't have to do it. Because when he comes, Let me read that thing I wanted to say. I wanted to reread verse 4, verse 5. Verses 4 and 5. Let me read both of them. He said to the church in Ephesus, But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds you did at first. He said, or else, please, people of God, listen to this and take this as a prophetic word for the church in this season. He said, or else, I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Now, this is what I'm going to explain to us. This is what the Lord Jesus is saying to us in this season. This is what I have read. He's saying it. To the church now. He is saying, I am demanding now that you repent and do the deeds you did at first. Otherwise, over the next few years, I will come and remove your lampstand out of your, out of its place. And what does that mean? I will tell you. Suddenly, you will begin to find legislations that are effective in stopping you from gathering. You will begin to find it hard. To run the kind of organizations you run now that you call church. And that will be the beginning of hard times. Well, in Nigeria, let me talk about liberty. Especially in southern Nigeria. Middle belt to southern Nigeria. And this actually extends to a huge part of Nigeria. Especially middle belt to southern Nigeria. This is one of the freest countries in the world to preach the gospel. I don't know any that's freer. Some people are thinking of Europe and America. If you think of Europe, you don't know anything. You don't know what's going on in those places. Let me tell you what I mean by freedom. You go to a government office. You can decide you're having staff fellowship every afternoon at a certain time, at that lunch hour, or immediately after this thing, and you use a government premises, and nobody talks. Nobody says anything to you. One day, some law stood, uh, some lawyers, uh, they had a conference, so they invited me. I was their, you know, their main uh, gospel teacher, all right, for the program. So they also invited the policeman who came to speak. And when that policeman was talking, I, I, he told a story that really made me laugh. Just they know how things are in Nigeria. He said there was a place where he used to work. His DPO used to tell him that he should stop praying in the office. So one day, he was praying. His DPO walks in, and that one got angry. She have told to stop praying here. Of course, that charge, that instruction is illegal because it's in his own office. You can see it's private prayer, all right? So it's not against the law. 
But of course, this is a force, and so bosses are quite uh, powerful. So he told him to come to his office and see him. He said, before that time, one pastor came. I forgot what that pastor came to do. So he saw the GPO. And immediately began to prophesy. Now, he didn't know the man. He didn't arrange anything. He said, I see death around you. He began to issue forth prophetic words. He said, by the time he got up from his own office to go and see the DPO, the DPO was on his knees. <laughs> and that prophet was prophesying that they prayed for one hour. It wasn't five minutes. So he stood there was looking at God of miracles. <laughs> this is God of miracles. He solved this problem for me before I even knew to, to pray about it. By the time, he said, that man spent one hour with the DPO praying. Casting and binding. Like I always say, who wants that? They say they see death around you. Why won't you pray? But that's the kind of freedom we enjoy. I hope you're getting my point. One of my friends, he said that one military man in his, uh, well, I don't know if he was a member of his church or something. Make a long story short, they got him involved in the matter. So he was going to be dismissed from the army by his commanding officer. So they now came to meet him to come and beg on the, boys, the young man's behalf. So he took his uh, load, walked to the big military commanding officer's house. So he sat down there, and that is how his office. Said so the commanding officer came out, saw him, and turned to the offending young man and began to rake. Oh, you want to bring a pastor here? He made a lot of noise. The man was so angry, he refused to talk to him. But do you know what? After he left, he did nothing again. He canceled the case. That was the end of the case. His presence. So the man didn't talk to him. He didn't even let him beg. He just got angry and left. But that was the end of the case. The young man was receded back to his position. The thing died there. Because the young man, he was himself that time. But because he showed up as a man of God. To start a church in Nigeria, I hope it doesn't cost anything. You don't have to register. I know big churches are not registered. And nobody will talk to you. Just buy land somewhere, knock something together. You, neighbors will negotiate with you so you won't make noise. Before they report to the authorities, you, take, you have to stretch them. You get on air, a good number, maybe at up to, yeah, more than, if not close to half of the radio stations we broadcast on are government stations, even though we pay. They'll just look and say, oh, your message is not divisive. Once they check, it's not divisive. And you can pay money. Eight. Nigeria right now has about 22,000 registered denominations. People have registered churches. Please, I hope you're getting my point here. Listen to me. It's freedom. You enter a bus. Before the bus takes off, somebody will come and tell you, let us pray your bus will not have accident in Jesus' name. He will pray, collect his offering, and go. And nobody complains. Nobody says he's disturbing the peace. Now, I'm going to describe the kind of freedom that we don't appreciate because we are so used to it. We can say anything about, against anything. We'll get on air and tell... And because the law in Nigeria even supports many of the things that are ungodly by the scriptures, are ungodly by our laws. You know that's a matter of fact? Let's not talk about stealing, cheating, adultery, all things that are against the law. Let's not talk about things like um, uh, homosexuality. 
same-sex marriage. They are against our laws in this country. So that even when we are preaching, the government is happy we are preaching it. In some countries that have what appears like normal freedom, general freedom, where people come against you are on fine details of the principles that you are saying people should live by. They start fighting you that why can't you agree for your pastors to be homosexuals and marry? And when it's being done, when you, when you say it is not the will of God, they say you are a bigot, you are intolerant, you are not progressive, and that becomes attack against you. And let me just let you know, the church in the United States of America came under that intensive attack, especially under the, during the second tenure of uh, Barack Obama. It got to a point. I think he's a mayor, the mayor of Houston, or but a political office holder in somewhere in Texas. If I remember where, I don't want to, just you can verify this was just about a few years ago. He demanded that pastors should submit their sermons for vetting. Who would believe it could enter the head of a politician in the United States of America? Now, I'm not talking about whether he succeeded or not. That he could enter his head to me was alarming. That they have to submit their sermons. And he was going to engineer laws to be written to, that is what they preach inside church. He wants to start controlling it. I did not know I would see it in my lifetime in the United States of America. I'm talking about freedom. Just for your information. That was where it was going to start from. They are started by attacking Christian businesses. That second tenure of Obama, that was when he hit the speak. And if you understand prophetic ministries, the people have come and said, God is granting the United States, the Christians of course, some extra, you know, some mercy. Give them time to shape things, to put things back in order. That was why he gave them Donald Trump as their next president. Donald Trump, as soon as he came, he undid a lot of the damage that had been done in the last four years of Barack Obama's presidency. Because a man like Barack Obama issued uh, executive orders that children should use bathrooms in the school, listen to this, based on their gender identity. What does that mean? That my sons can go to school and register as female. So if they want to pee, they go to the female bathroom. And President Obama signed it as an executive order. Let me tell you what that means, if you don't understand what, what, what the implication of that. It means that even in private schools, if the children there are using FED because some families are poor, and they are using government funds to pay fees, you are covered by that. You did have some of those tricky things about their laws. I was surprised. Hmm. The other day I got involved in something. Eh? And let, me not go, let, me just, let me not go into details. Especially because you know, we're streaming these things live, so <laughs> we won't be able to edit things out. But the point I'm trying to make here is this. Eh? See, that law, that executive order, was going to become worse if somebody like Hillary Clinton had won the election. But Donald Trump came in, and the first thing, one of the first things he did was to tear that and write his own. Hey, hey, Willis, if you want to, we will check your anatomy. We will let you know that you're a boy or a girl. You don't just wake up in the morning and tell us that you're a girl and we'll accept. You may say, ah, it's the world. People don't understand. Yes, that's the world. But then the church starts getting railroaded in. 
That second tenure of, of Barack Obama, if you remember, a baker will say, I cannot bake. I can't do catering for, make a cake for same-sex marriage. They sue you. You are discriminating. They stopped it when Donald Trump came into office. You have to become tolerant of every nonsense. And I'm, I'm, I'll explain something to you. When you become tolerant of rubbish, you are judged for it. Oh, yes. God said, because you tolerate that woman, Jezebel. So, the, what they start doing, okay, is start pressuring you bit by bit. And then they explain the modern, the face of modern persecution. Do you know when that, I think it's mayor in Houston or something. But that was a political office holder somewhere in Texas. When he did that, I don't know whether it was the governor of Texas or something. But one person in that caliber, when, I think it was a she. Not very certain now. But when the person did that, you know, for me it was shocking that in my lifetime, pastors in the United States of America that was founded upon separation of church and state. They started by saying, you cannot pray in government places and all of that. Donald Trump will cut a lot of those things away. You can't play in, pray in schools. Why? There's separation of church and state. Now, it started like that, held on like that for a long time. Then now, the state is now trying to creep in to tell you what you can preach. What many of us don't know is that in a country just up north, like Canada, for years before that time, they already had a law against what they call gay bashing. So if you came to your church and preached against homosexuality, you could be charged. Many people didn't know that. Should we start talking about Europe? <laughs> Where a few weeks ago, two nurses lost their job because they said, we don't perform abortions. They said, it is your duty to do it. So they were sued. They lost in court. They went to a higher court. They lost. Finally, they arrived in the European Court of for Human Rights. American Christians came to their defense that it is their faith. They have a right to live in accordance with their faith. European Court for Human Rights said, no, you don't. Rejected their appeal. They were making it a law, basically, in Europe. That if the government decides that as a doctor or a midwife, you must terminate pregnancies, you do it or lose your job. It is not in the, you know the way it is. The courts have spoken that it is not an infringement of your rights. Why am I saying all of these things to let Nigerian Christians know that such persecution can hit here? Things I'm seeing now, I didn't know I'll see them in my lifetime. So don't think you are safe. That is what happens, and I must say that. People say it's the devil. You know me and devil, we, have, we give each other some space. I don't like this glorifying Satan every time. What I need you to understand is that Satan has his evil desires. When his evil desires begin to succeed, you start asking yourself, why are the evil desires of Satan succeeding in my life? Why are those desires succeeding in my environment? Why are those desires succeeding? That's what you start worrying about. It's not about, is it God? Is it Satan? People say, Coronavirus came from the pit of hell. I said, wherever it came from, go and read your Bible. There are things that come from the bottomless pit to come and hot people on the earth because God commanded. So let's not sit on where it came from. The question is that, why is it afflicting us? But what I want to explain from that is this. Why is persecution like that happening? Persecution comes under different circumstances. 
Sometimes because you are coming up to charge into the realm where darkness had held sway, where people were worshipping Satan, God allows that. The people that come in first, they, they suffer. That's why people like Paul did. Because you are hitting the kingdom of darkness head on. It's like you are a sledgehammer they are using to break rock. No matter how strong you are, you will dent more. Are you getting my point? I want to break this rock now. I carry a sledgehammer. Strong, well-fortified vanadium steel, whatever. <laughs> you know, there are different kinds of steel. Impregnated with some alloys to make it very strong. If you finish hitting the rock, the rock will break. Then look at the first surface of the, the uh, sledgehammer. What happens? Dents here and there. Doesn't mean you are not strong. It just means you are breaking a rock. Sometimes that is what persecution is. So Paul gets to a place and he preaches. And everybody becomes a Christian overnight. They start stoning him. Why? He has spoiled the chop for the makers of idols. And many people are shouting for truth. They don't go and, look, go and check. They are not telling the truth. They are worried about their stomach. You can't just come and end people's street and they'll just leave you like that. Preaching against alcohol and prostitution and stuff like that. John Alexander Dowie, they bombed his office. The mafia in Chicago. When the man preached, 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 ah, he said, this pastor said, you want to spoil business in this place? So they sent somebody to put a bomb under his chair, on, well, on, below the floorboards of his office. So that day he was walking, walking. Then suddenly he had an urge to go home. He threw away the urge, continued walking. It was getting late. He had the urge to go home. So he told the secretary, yeah, oh boy, pack up. Let's go. I'm feeling uncomfortable. So they closed up, packed all their things. He, as soon as he walked away from the church, boom! His office was gone. You are charging against the powers of darkness. So they reacted. Persecution comes for that reason. But that's not the only reason persecution comes. It's not. Let me give you another reason why persecution comes. Quickly. Go to the book of Matthew chapter 5. Let's read that. The book of Matthew chapter 5. From verse 13. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light shine, he says, before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, let me read again verse 13 or bring out something here. The Lord Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. If the salt has become tasteless, has lost its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? He said, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Listen to this. This is the second reason why there's persecution. When the salt loses its saltiness, the owner of the salt will take the salt and throw it out and people will start trampling on it. That trampling by men. Look at what he said. Underfoot by men. When human beings start attacking the church and rubbishing it like that, that's another form of persecution. And that is because the church lost its saltiness. That is the second reason why you have persecution. Certain forms of persecution are, listen to me, divine judgments. 
against, I need to emphasize that, against the works that we are doing or the works we are not doing. That is the fact that we are not doing becomes iniquity and God has to judge. That takes us now back to that revelation that we read. The letter to, to the church in Ephesus. He said, if you don't return and do the works at the beginning, then I will have no choice than to employ different methods to remove your lampstand from its place. When the church is most at risk, is when it feels most secure. I don't know whether you're getting my point. David says something like this. He said, I said in my prosperity, I will never be moved. That is, there's something that happens to you in prosperity. You think you cannot be moved. When you have built churches that can sit 50,000 people, when you have tents that can stand, is this seat or stand a million people? You understand? It gets to a point you think you are very influential in the society. It is called prosperity. So you tend to say in your prosperity, we are too powerful. We start saying things like the church in this nation is a powerful force. What do we mean? It's simple. Governor has come to us to do Thanksgiving. Sunday service, we count many governors who go to church. Legislators come, both at the federal and the state levels, and even the local levels. We have swaths of land all over the place. You go to a place like Lagos. Between Lagos and uh, Shagam, there are camps. That is, the amount of land we have used for camps in that place. eh? Of course, many of those places are cities. Once I heard a story, it's not fully confirmed, so I'll just make it, you know, just summarize it, especially because we are throwing this thing live out there. But there was a time Christians in Nigeria were shouting, uh, Sukuk bond, when federal government was taking Sukuk bond. So they went and met their own people who were influential in government. But they gave them figures. That you guys are shouting Sukuk bond, we should not take uh, money from Islamic people. They said there's no problem. That they showed the number of trillions of naira that passes through the hands of the church on an annual basis. And he said to them, please, if you want to bring money for your own churchy bond, we will collect. We are broke, we are looking for money. He said we shouldn't take one because it is Islamic. You bring your own Christian one. Money does not care where it comes from. It says money. As we are using Islamic money, we will use Christian money. And everything will balance. Now my brethren around, they didn't come back, but they couldn't talk again. We control so much money. I'm not saying it's a sin. I'm just saying that the danger of prosperity is that idea that cannot be moved. Like somebody said to us, of course, that time started like in the true gospel. He said, there are things we resist by prayer. There are things we resist by means. If you have the money, you resist some things. It sounds nice. There's only one problem. You have so much money at the point in time, you think you can resist everything. And listen to me, people of God, that is when you are most at risk. That is because you must understand, the person removing your candlestick is not the devil. The person removing your lampstand from his place is not one aggregation of demons. It's not another religion. It's not the Antichrist. It is the Lord thy God who gave you the power to get the wealth in the first place. If he says it is enough, you will be amazed. With all your prosperity, you will be moved. It's a danger of prosperity. That's when the church is most at, most, at, most at risk. They say when the church is growing fastest, I was told, I don't have a personal experience that, but I've heard many testimonies. Where the church is growing the most is China. But that is where they are most persecuted. 
Because the church there is too pure. Nobody comes there looking for prosperity. Anybody that comes there comes looking for God. And therefore the spirit of God, the overcoming spirit of God, enters the person. And their presence will convert whole towns, whole villages. There was a time, I, I read this story somewhere, that when, that when um, you know, Russia opened, America, uh, China began to open. The Christians in China panicked. Why were they panicking? The American Christianity is about to come. That no God we don't want. They said once somebody went to a communist country. One of our brethren from the West, from the West, one is the West now, Western Europe, America, and told those people, I think in China or Russia, one of those persecuted churches. So want people to know we are praying for you, and they look like for what? We are the ones praying for you. That they were surprised. You are praying for us for what now? You are the ones that need prayer. You are the ones that have Hollywood. You are the ones that have freedom. You are the ones that have money. You are the ones that are under the temptations of life. You are the ones facing the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. We don't have all of these things. You are praying for us? Ha! Thank you. But we have been praying for you. We have realized that you've been getting the whole world and at the danger of losing your souls. Oh, that you are praying for us under persecution. They say, no, we are protected under persecution. We have nowhere else to look to but the Lord. But you have all kinds of other gods around you. How are you coping? <laughs> I hope you are getting my point here. <laughs> Listen to me. David Paulson said, when the church is persecuted, it's purified. And that's why God let it happen. That when you see so much freedom, people are just living large, living free. After a while, the church is so polluted. God says, how do I clean this thing up? This story I want to tell is a true story I read in different places. But I think it's a verified story. One day some Christians used to hide to pray. Then two soldiers, one of those communist countries of those days, they burst into the church with their guns in their hands. Of course, the Christians knew that trouble had come. They said, uh-huh. you people are hiding to pray when it's against the law. Okay, we'll let, you, we'll let you people go. If you know you are not a Christian, get out. All those of you are sure you are not Christians. You have one minute to get out of here. They had their guns ready. All the Christians are in trouble today. So after a while, some people left. Some people left. Are you sure? If you are in here, here, inside here, you are sure you are a Christian. If you, if you don't want to die, just go out now. Just say you are not a Christian and go out. Oh. After some time, nobody moved again. Pastor was standing, other people were standing there. We are Christians. After those ones left, they locked the door. The soldiers put down their gun, kneeled down and said, please, we came to find Jesus Christ. We just want to be sure that it's only Christians. <laughs> he said, we just want to be sure that only Christians are here. That is, they used the gun as persecution, drove away the people that were not pure. It really happened. Then they locked the doors and said, guys, and they knelt and said, please, please, how, how can, how can we find God? Where is the way to eternal life? I the story of another man. I read down from his book recently. He was about to escape. He was, you know, he wanted to run away from one of those communist countries. So they captured him almost. And they, where are you going? You're trying to run away. He said, no, 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 no. So after he left that place, 
the guard let him go. That the man now said, he, his conscience now smote him. A Christian, you are telling lies. So he told the Lord he's so sorry that next time he's going to tell the truth. So next, and they were going to go by boat, some of them, you know, jumped into the river, on, not boat, you know, like a raft. So another soldier just came and caught them. <laughs> I caught you people. You want to escape from this country? He just told the Lord that he won't tell lies again. So look at the soldier and said, yes. So I said, hey, are you serious? Okay, let's go together. <laughs> <laughs> the man jumped into their raft with them and he happened to be an experienced sailor. God sent him to guide them. So he was the one that did all the navigation, told them where to pass, where not to pass. He led them to safety. You see why God allows persecution? When persecution starts, not everybody will come to judge. And God says, I like it like that. It's not as if he likes persecution. What he wants is what? Purity. So the second reason, and that's one that's relevant to the word we are giving out today. The second reason why persecution comes is that when the church has become when the church has become lax, when it has become polluted, God said, I need to purify it. It doesn't start with it. Paul said it like this. Judge yourselves so that God does not have to get to that level. Because whether it's for purification or not, it is painful. People die in the process. People are injured in the process. People starve in the process. Hurtful things happen in the process. So God says, do you want it the hard way or we do it the easy way? What is the easy way? Paul said, judge yourselves so you will not be judged. And what am I preaching today? It's a prophetic word. It's a message to the church, especially in this nation. We're preaching from Nigeria, but other nations applies to you too. It's judge yourself. God is saying, Otherwise, I have to come and do it myself. I will give you a short period to do it. This word to the book of uh, to the church in Ephesus is so relevant. Do the work you did at first. Do the work you did at first. Let me explain what he meant by the work they did at first. Now, this is the work we did at first. I'm not an old man yet, but at least I still remember. Christianity of 30 years ago. I was old enough that time to know what was going on. I was a little boy 40 years ago, little, but I was old enough to see crusades. I was old enough to see things happen. I was old enough to witness when the main thrust of true Christianity was advanced by SU, Scripture Union. I was old enough to see when we were taught this world is not my home. I watched it over the years. And you know, I said this earlier. Everything has its own dangers. Prosperity gospel is true. No, really. It's just that it's one of the most difficult truths to preach. I'm not joking about that. It's extremely difficult to preach it. Before you teach anybody prosperity, you have to first teach the person dying to self. People who are not dead to themselves cannot handle the prosperity of God. 
Ah, time will not allow me to start t- you know, telling you some things. In a place like Nigeria, God prospered the church so much. But let me tell you the truth. The church does not know how to use the prosperity. If, there was, if we, we as a body are to be rated on the, what do you call it? The scale of God. If we are to put on a scale, you know the truth? We'll be found wanting in the use of prosperity. God says, okay, I gave you prosperity. How did you use it? On his scale, we'll be found wanting. Let me use my knowledge of contemporary education. I don't think we can score 30%. If it is pass, say pass mark is 50. We don't forget it. We are not even, we are not even, we are not even up to 25%. As a group, as a people, together. We're not. And one of the problems we have is that we have, listen, every misbehavior is founded upon wrong teaching. If you see the group of people in the church misbehaving, is their teaching that's wrong. If you get to the church, everybody's an adulterer, a fornicator, and stuff like that, go and check their teaching. Somebody's telling them that God does not care. If you enter a church, everybody's they defraud one another, you check their teaching. And check the life of the guy in charge. It's true. I'm not saying that every little disobedience is his fault. After all, Judas was with Jesus. And Judas was the son of perdition. But when you see something pervasive, very common, check the teaching of the people. They are being taught wrongly. I wonder if this has happened to us, okay? In that area of prosperity, I look back at, at many things that were taught. They were wrong. A lot of our teaching on prosperity was very worldly, plain and simple. We did not understand the purpose for which God gave it. So basically, we are not done well. And you know what God says? It's simple. Correct your ways. That's what I said at the beginning. Let your pastor listen to this message. And listen, I will preach the gospel the way it is. If he doesn't, if we don't as a group, so that as a, as a result, we don't make the necessary judgment. He said, judge yourselves so you will not be judged. If we don't do that, you know what will happen? God will close us down. That's why I told the story of you know, things happening in, in, in the United States. I didn't say much about Europe. Europe where you can't, there are things you can't see outside. The other day we're sharing some things amongst our brethren. And some people wrote us from the UK and said, ah, it's such a pity we can't share this at work. And I laughed. I said, you know I was telling you earlier, Nigeria, we share. I said, here. <laughs> if not here, next day you will have printed everything. First give, as your guys, go, welcome sir, read this sir, you will be blessed. Told us simply, we have a law against it. We can do it. So the Lord is saying in simple terms, if you don't correct yourselves, I will have to correct you the difficult way. And listen, when God wants to correct the difficult way, see some of these big churches we built can see 10,000, 20, 50, 100. You know, God can just blow it away in one day. You know, God will blow it in such a manner that even the unbeliever will know there is God. <laughs> you know, when Jesus died on the cross, one Roman soldier looked. I say, hey, this one, this one is truly the son of God. He knew what he saw. When he saw the clouds, the earthquake, the darkness, ah, he saw the way it moved in as one person was dying. He had seen crucifixion before. After a while, he knew what he saw. He knew what he felt. Like Mars Moreau said, they were, they are the Roman soldiers were the first witnesses of resurrection, not Mary and Co. 
Why were they paying them not to talk? <laughs> that just by the way. So you see, there are things that God will do. Like the apostle said once, they renovated the cathedral. You know, which one burnt a few weeks ago? Notre Dame. Here. When I was born, they were saying, okay, this is this. I was watching the program on them. Um, I think History Channel or National Geographic or Discovery, one of those places. And I said, how do firefighters fought? I was just laughing. Say, such an iconic building. <laughs> you know, I couldn't help laughing. Jesus said, that's why I burnt it. That was why I burnt it. You know, Israel, eh, as a nation, and Judah, they believe so much in that their temple. So God used to <laughs> break it. When they say, we have the temple, God is in this temple, God says, there's no problem. There's no problem. If you just believe in your temple, your temple, your temple. Solomon built this temple. God said, there's no trouble. So when they finished sinning, he will send some people against them. Say, look, that the Babylonians, don't do any of that. Just help you go and break that temple. So they will know that you can't believe in a structure. I don't dwell inside that place made with brick, mortar, iron rods, zinc, roofing sheets. No, I don't dwell there. So in, you, in London, they renovated one beautiful cathedral where there's no life anymore. Nobody goes there. And they spent like maybe six million pounds. When they finished, it was beautiful. Looking nice. And they installed the latest model of a lightning conductor system. And when they finished, there was no rain. Just one small cloud. Lightning struck it and the building caught fire. <laughs> and destroyed the thing. They first say, look, I say, ah, God wanted to let them know. I'm not impressed. They spent a lot of money. Shortly after they finished, one, one afternoon, lightning just struck. Boom. A major part of the building was destroyed. What was God saying? I'm not impressed. So, so, to those of us in Nigeria, especially in a church like this, God said, build anything you like. Measure it in kilometers. Measure it the height. Measure, it, me, measure the, the norm, amount of iron rods you used. The size of the columns. Or the amount of money. That is what, you have just given me something big to start judgment with. I will roll away with the roof. Render the whole thing useless. I know when God wants to do like that, he will tell anybody that repairs that roof. You know what God said to Jericho? I don't want to prophesy as if I'm prophesying Jericho. If it's, God said, if you try to repair Jericho, if God has not placed a blessing upon the building he has cursed, don't repair it. Listen to me. God said, does he have to get to that? Does he have to get to that? No, he doesn't. What I'm just saying to you people is simple. Judge yourselves. What? Look, that is a word for today. Do the work you did at first. When I gave you prosperity and you spent most of it expanding, not increasing in height. What I mean by increasing in height? Instead of expanding, we are congregating. When what you were known for, you see, not like I said, you prosperity is a difficult gospel to preach, even though it is true. But the church must never be known for our affluence. It was not given to us to aggrandize. It was not given to us, you must understand, to show off. It was not supposed to be for ostentation. What it was meant for is to expand his kingdom. So that when you are doing it, people will be more inclined to see the work you are doing 
than the amount of money you are spending on it. I hope you are getting my point here. It's not these people are rich, it's these people are working. Let me ask you a question. All of you here, think about it. When last do you hear of a major crusade? Anywhere in this country? Major, I don't mean that some people go and gather if people say that one, one child of Israel is coming. You know, those kind of things, jokes with crack, wasn't it? Why just saying something? Major. There was a time when I was young, it was, it was a usual thing. It's who is doing it that is discussion. It's who is doing it that is discussion. Is it Archbishop Benson Dauza? Or is it Reinhard Bonke? Is it Francois Leoke? Those are the kind of names you hear. Is it Emmanuel Eni? You know? Is who is, is who is preaching? It's not whether a crusade is happening or it's not happening. But a lot of us know what we did. After those crusades in Christos, we built churches around them. Then we crowned, you know, we capped the glory. Let me put it like that. What happens is that we exchanged the glory for things that don't satisfy. I hope I get my point. It's like gold being exchanged for brass because we've lost the gold. So there's a lot of glitter around us. It looks like gold. And actually it's the gold of the world. But it's not the gold of heaven. So we started competing in the kind of church we built. The size. You're getting my point. You know, there was a time Christians felt that participating in politics was wrong. And now listen to me. And I said, this is how to balance it. I think that was an extreme. Okay? Now, but when we now realize some of the truth, I said prosperity is hard to preach. So instead of swinging to the middle, we went to the other extreme, where we are more interested in our political clout. I began this by saying that the work of the church is apostolic and prophetic. We lost power, generally speaking, in the place of prayer, but gained it in political connections. Again, that is brass for gold. It's the gold of the world, but it's not the gold of heaven. I hope you're getting my point. So that as we materially prospered, politically prospered, we deplete, listen, spiritual energy began to deplete and we did not realize it. But physically we're expanding. Then the church was now becoming corrupt inside. Teachings began to change. Then we left, listen to me, this is a prophetic word. We left that apostolic stroke prophetic job Next thing, we didn't realize when we suddenly became experts in teaching diet. Diet is so obvious, many of us don't do it. But we went into teaching economics. Business principles, political principles. We organized programs around those things. And even though, I said earlier, they are not bad in themselves. That is not the work of the church. The primary assignment of the church is apostolic, is prophetic. When I say apostolic, this is what I mean. They spread the truth. Many of the people who call evangelists, I call them apostles. They get up and drive the gospel into even difficult areas. So we are known for more of our, that is, a proper church will be known more for those crusades, large and small, and even young people penetrating cities and villages, campuses, with the truth of the gospel. The other day I got so sad. I saw on campuses, at least I know it by University of Benin, you see a small boy, he says he's a pastor, and he has two PAs. Small boys were wearing suits on campus. What is wrong with you wearing jeans and t-shirt? You know, some of them, we you know, texturize their hair, they start looking 
fakely anointed? And they start using the title pastor in an official capacity to be respected and bowed to by others. If you're a young man, you're listening to me, your destiny that they are helping you shave away. They are removing small, small. Go and tell your general of your CIA that you continue the work, but in campus you want to be known as brother this. As for that suit, stop wearing it. It's not, it doesn't mean you are anointed. It does not mean you are anointed. Your life will be cheaper as a student to have three pairs of jeans. One black, another one black, and black. <laughs> You're a student. Okay, you don't like black. Three b- blue. No, don't change the color because if you change the color now, you now know which one is which. Just all of them blue, blue jeans. And please don't tear your jeans in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, I command you, don't tear your jeans. No, no, don't have a bit of fashion you copy. They call it rip. If I, you want your destiny to be ripped? You like your, a ripped destiny? Come on, stop that nonsense. Dress decently. But you're a young man, you can wear a pair of jeans. Make sure it is clean. Have t-shirts, have shirts, tuck them in. Go to fellowship and lead. Why are you wearing suits? What do you think you are? I'm not saying suits is a, is, is, is a sin. No. I'm just saying, why are you giving yourself a, a, a body? If you have fellowship twice a week. You wear suit twice a week. Can't you see you are not going anywhere in life? No, think about it. I, I mean, what I went to campus here. Where will you even be hanging in suit? That's why you need pay and briefcase. I was a campus fellowship president. His face cap we wore, t-shirt. I didn't need a briefcase. I carried a bag. I didn't have a P, 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 P what? You know, that's when we have lost it, prosperity. You know, we've gotten confused. When you see small children raise money, you just know there's trouble. You raise money on campus and send to headquarters. You should know your headquarters will soon catch fire. You should know. It, it, it has to. They want to buy a new car for pastor. Campus fellowship is the one raising money. I'm not saying you shouldn't learn to give, but please, senior pastors, stop, stop placing unnecessary bodies on dependent people. Because it's still their parents you are pressing. It's not them. What do they have? Those is I heard that some people say they go to church, they want to sew a phone to their pastor's life. I, I don't have any problem with that. You should do that if you can. They did not, after they've sewn it, they don't have phone. They now go to their uncle. Uncle, I don't have phone. If you really wanted to give, it's called godliness with contentment. Stop harassing somebody else's life. What another say? The work we did at first. What happened was that when God gave us prosperity, we got confused. That's what I'm making. We stopped advancing the truth. We became known for other things rather than the preaching of the gospel. The advancement of the truth. We became known for other things. Ah, so many things. I don't want to. If you say something, to be as if you're attacking somebody. There is nothing wrong in themselves with some of the things we are doing. In themselves. It's just that what is most important in what you are doing is what we are talking about. No matter how good it is, some of the things we do, if we don't preach the gospel, if it's not the most important thing, taking our effort, our energy, doing the apostolic work, then Jesus is saying, get back and do the work you did at first. That's what I'm preaching. What I mean by prophetic work? 
something like this, we we arrive in a whole nation. You can't even you hardly. It's only one prophet I heard that warned about it about it in Joss. I heard that a few days ago. Yet it fell upon the whole nation. We are locked down for weeks. And all the church can say is devil, the devil, the devil, the devil. Even if it's the devil, why didn't you know the devil was coming? We hardly heard anybody talk about it. If we are going to open our mouth, no. We we, we run in another direction. Surely the Lord God does nothing except he reveals his plans, his secret counsels to his servant, the prophet. So the prophetic church can warn ahead. That these people should say that, and these people have been saying it, but we, we never said it. You know why? We had, you know, the Bible says, Jeshurun became fat and kicked. We had become fat with prosperity. We're not hearing anything. See, can see it's we and we are saying, no. I've not pointed at anybody. It's we, all of us. Chooks, Okemute, small Israel, Felix, Chinedu, my wife too. And these two men on the cameras, the three of them, Ude, all of his, all, all of us. <laughs> What's the Lord Jesus saying? Do the work you did at first. What is the work we did at first? That's what the Lord is saying specifically to this church. Stop loving the world. You love the world too much. You measure your standard, your standard for, for prosperity, your standard for progress. Your measurement of your advancement is wrong. How do you need a church that is doing well? You count numbers and you count tithes and offering. That is a sin. Oh, let me say it again. You know, I said something like a joke. I wasn't joking. God said, once you are counting your progress by number and tithes and offering, you are walking in sin. Uh, look, I've heard of pastors who cook the books. To impress headquarters. I had one recently, I couldn't believe it. Anytime the man gets to the headquarter meeting, what he says, they are not doing 2000 on Sunday. And of course, his offering was reflecting it. He knew how he was driving the people to get the money. So they now promoted him for the good work he was doing to another branch. And now sent another person to a good place. That one got there. And he thought maybe they sent him to a wrong church. So he called the former pastor. And that one said, no, that he was declaring by faith. <laughs> That's the, what? He got to a church, were not more than maybe 150, 200 people. You said 2,000. He said, listen, you don't walk by what you see. <laughs> You walk by what you believe. That one didn't know. Am I supposed to call headquarters and tell them that? That guy's faith was too much. <laughs> but the guy that achieved his aim, he'd been promoted. Wow. Oh, he'd been transferred. <laughs> one of our brothers pastor the church was there. I laughed. No, I think, no, he didn't pass that church, but he was part of the group. 
The pastor leased the land for five years. How many years? Five. Went to their church own regional or international headquarters and said they had bought land and they built and completed a beautiful church on it within a space of maybe two years or so. By that time, the headquarters was so impressed they transferred him to a bigger place to show the kind of work that he's doing. After he left, the next pastor came and the landlord refused to, to renew. True story. Do you understand? They built and finished the building. Complete. I'm not talking about temporary structure. Complete. And the landlord said, I'm not renewing it. I gave you at least, I knew it was five years, right? But the people there thought this guy is doing a great work. He's doing a great work. Because we taught them that we measure progress by number of members and the offerings you remit. God says, stop. Go back and do the work you did at first. Let me say something that doesn't sound nice. God said, I will close every single one of those branches down. I will. There was all this trampling of my courts. It was saying to Israel. All this one of offerings. Say, your offerings have become odious to me. I hate the smell of your sacrifices. These were things that were supposed to be sweet-smelling savour unto him. But the hearts of men had become polluted. They are competing with size of buildings, size of quality of finishing, number of people in attendance, how many services they have. And like we used to say those days, yet souls are perishing. Now, the souls that are perishing now, this is a painful part, are inside the church. Before we used to say that, ah, look at the kind of shirt you are wearing. When our souls are perishing, we meant perishing where? Outside. But now the souls came to church they can't even hear the truth. They are still perishing. You know what, is, what the Spirit is saying? Everywhere you withhold the truth because of financial gain. You withhold the truth because of financial gain. You will gain that finances for a while. Then, I will close the whole structure down and you will be poorer than you would ever have imagined for speaking the truth. I hope you get my point. That it would have been better if you spoke the truth and were poor. That the level of poverty you will see when I close you down will be worse than the one you were afraid of. I'm giving the mind of the spirit. I didn't come here to joke. Like I said, today is not school of prayer. It's a school of prophecy. It's school of prophecy today. You know what the Lord is saying? Do the work you did at first. Start loving souls, not for the offering they bring. Love souls because you don't want them to die and be damned eternally. Preach to them. Spend your money on evangelism. Know that your whole nation must be changed through the, this point, through the preaching of the truth, not through political arrangement. That's why the church made it. We now organize major programs on political arrangement. We hardly offer prophetic words to the people. Hardly. The popular pastor will now be the one who knows how to analyze the problem of Nigeria physically. How to discuss rotational presidency, sharing of national cake, equitable distribution of things, how to improve health care. Listen to me. Preach like that. People will love you. Just don't mention Christ. 
Don't tell them this is the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the whole world. Don't mention him. I said something to her last time. Say all the, all the things you will achieve. Listen, help the state organize politically. But don't preach the truth to the individuals therein, to know Christ and the salvation that is in him. This is the word of God. He said, Adam, that is Esau, he said, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. But I made his, that Esau that I hated, for that reason I made his mountains a desolation. I like one thing God said. He said, the man said, ah, we will come, we will build. God said, let them build and we scatter. I'm quoting for you from Malachi. I just want to read it, then I close. Malachi chapter 1. Though Edom says, we have been beaten down, but we will return and build up the ruins. Thus says the Lord of hosts. They may build, but I will tear down. And men will call them the wicked territory. And the people toward whom the Lord is indignant forever. That is what happens when you help people organize politically, help them organize economically, help them organize educationally, but you don't tell them the truth. That is what happens. What is the truth? Truth is Christ Jesus. What is the truth? There's a curse upon the land, and salvation is only found in him. What is the truth? The soul that sins, it shall die. What is the truth? Blessings that are spiritually determined. And blessings are in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord to the church. Return and do the work you did at first. Let us pray. Let's just give the Lord thanks. Let's just say, Father, we thank you. Let's say, Lord, we thank you. Let's continue, let's continue to thank the Lord and say, Lord, thank you for sending this word to me again. Now you're praying for yourself. It's for yourself. Like when Pastor was teaching, he said, these things, first of all, we have to apply it individually before we now take it to the church. So let's thank God that if you're an individual that you heard this word, I believe in one way, correction came to you. Instruction came to you. If there are areas you need to repent, you can do that now and say, Lord, in this area, I have failed. But I repent. I repent. I was supposed to tell this person the truth, but I did not. Because of what I wanted to gain, I repent. In the name of Jesus, I I repent. If I have given another chance, I will declare the truth. I will not look at what I stand to gain, but I will look at your kingdom, advancing your kingdom. If you are that person, just say, Lord, I repent today. Show me mercy. In the name of Jesus, because I wanted that relationship, I did not tell that person the truth. I repent. Lord, we thank you. Give the Lord thanks for bringing a word again for his church in this season. We prayed for a word earlier when we were starting this meeting, and the Lord showed us mercy and brought, gave us a word. Let's say, Lord, thank you for your word that you have sent to us. We thank you. We run with this word. We receive grace to apply this word in our individual lives, in the church and as a nation at large. Lord, we give you praise. Blessed be your name forever. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord.